if you walk through the garden, you better watch your back. It's hard to believe it now, but when The Wire first appeared on screens in 2002, hardly anyone watched it. It had low viewing figures, was ignored at award season, and was almost cancelled a number of times over its five seasons, and yet the drama is now regarded as one of the greatest TV shows of the 21st century, which launched dozens of careers along the way. I'm Genevieve, and my guest today shot to fame as one of the most loved characters in the show, Bubbles. Please welcome. Welcome to talk about his life after that thing he did, Andre Royo. Andre, legend of The Wire, so lovely to see you. Thanks for being here. How are you? I'm doing good. You can say that again. Legend of The Wire. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you very much. I've been well, and it's a pleasure to talk to you. You too. Uh, before we get going, I have to say, I saw a video you posted on Instagram a little while ago where you put a Q-tip or a cotton bud, as we call them here in England, in your ear. And while you were wiggling around and in the throes of ecstasy, you said it was one of your top five feelings in the world. Top five. Top five. I don't, I, I stand by my words and that is one of the top five best feelings in the world. If I can get a sponsor from Q-tips, I go through a box a month <laughs> and I can just sit there and just... I love it. I love it. <laughs> I'm totally with you on that. The irony is that on the box it says you're not supposed to put them in your ear. But uh, but dare I ask what the other four top feelings in the world are for you? Uh, you you can ask, but I you know I won't divulge <laughs> the other four. I'm so sorry, but in today's world of uh, hashtag and cancel culture, I'm going to refrain from my other <laughs> feelings. That I enjoy. Because for me, it's just kind of like, you know, like a good stretch. You just have like a really good stretch and your body just collapses into a heap after. That's like a good feeling. That's a good feeling. That's a, listen, that's a good feeling. But we're talking top five. Okay. All right. So top, top five. five feeling? I get what I call jawgasms, which is if I've not eaten for a while, the first bite, my jaw goes into spasm, which is pleasure and pain at the same time. But it feels so good. I just can't explain it listen listen and then i have another feeling which i'm not it's not like a a feeling feeling but i really like the feeling obviously it rains a lot in england when it's raining and you're driving in the car and you drive past someone who doesn't have an umbrella and they get really wet <laughs> the feeling you know what how long you've been married i can see you and your husband live in ecstasy jogasm i know he loves that <laughs> and the diabolical of wedding people I mean, it, it all makes sense. You are a stormtrooper. It all makes sense. Um, I will say, I got one more. I will say one of my top five feelings. You know, I am. Um, I love the sun. I love it. You know, I like heat. I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm from New York, so I, I like the humidity. I like coming out my shower sweating. I love heat. So when the sun is hitting your face, when you walk outside or you... You know, you're doing something when the sun hits your face and you feel that first warmth. I would say that's in my top five. I love the I love the way the sun feels on my body. That's a good feeling. Yes. You definitely can't get cancelled for that. It's fine. Don't worry. That's why I said it. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I chose that one. Yeah. Okay, let's get down to business and enter the nostalgia zone. Yes. Back in the day, 22 years ago. If we start at the beginning, you grew up in the Bronx and you were inspired to become an actor after watching Rocky. And after a stint at an automotive dealership school and while working in construction, you joined an acting class. And you really got into theatre, didn't you? And it was on the stage that you thought you would have a career. Yes, I really felt like theatre, you know, there's something about when I talk to my fellow actors, there's something about the theatre that's just very personal and very powerful to uh, the actor. I think television is really about the writers and the writer's medium. Movies are about the director and how you put this big story together. But the actor, when you step on stage and there's no safety net, there's no plan B, there's no edit, there's no cut. It's just you and that audience. There's a great feeling, a poly top five feeling of a, of a relationship that you make with the audience that I, I had never felt before until I started, you know, doing theater in the Lower East Side. And so I thought, you know, the dream was to 
you know, do Broadway and do stage work. And after the play's over, cut out the side door, the stage door, sign some playbills, and then go to the bar and reminisce on how I fucked up <laughs> so, or, or what I did well. So I really, I thought theater was going to be my path. And then I heard the most wonderful and dreaded sentence that a man can hear on his journey to becoming a successful working actor. I'm pregnant. And I was like, <laughs> okay, theater's not going to work right now. I need money, money, money. So I think that was the, the thing that got me really looking into, like, maybe television would be better. Mm. better so I'd be better suited in television just because I thought it, it, would, it brings in more money. Um, so then, you know, being a New Yorker, Law and Order was right there. And Law and Order kept every black actor in New York working because they always needed a criminal. So I, I was always working on Law and Order. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, you had a few parts in, in cop shows where it seemed like at the time black actors were mainly cast as thug number one and convict number two. That's right. Um, That's right. But was there... And we were very grateful. <laughs> we were very, at that time, we were very grateful. We might have had some grumblings underneath about why we keep playing these parts. But really, it was a chance to be on screen start the ball rolling, get into SAG, make some money. And it wasn't like we didn't know how to play those characters. I mean, we, we understood it. So, you know. But was there ever a time when you thought, you know, this isn't for me because the roles just weren't meaty enough? Or were you just like, nah, I'm going to make this happen? Um, no, I mean, I, I got fired a lot. I did a lot of extra work in, on Law & Order. That's how I first started, extra work. And I always said, this ain't media enough. And I always got, I always got yelled at because I start talking and then the AD be like, extras don't talk. And I was like, okay, but actors do. I'm an actor, so I'm going to talk, you know? So I, I got fired a couple of times. Spike Lee fired me one time in Malcolm X because I didn't look like a FOI brother. I was a little short and crooked with glasses and... <laughs> He was like... Spike Lee fired you from Malcolm X. <laughs> well, he didn't fire me, so to speak, but he took me out of a couple of scenes where it didn't seem like I fit. So he was like, no, not here. So he, he kind of looked out for me in a lot of ways. But yes, I always felt, you know, my my own ego, it wasn't even about being black. My own ego always felt like, okay, this is not big enough. And I think I used, I tell all my, my mentees or my fellow actors, when you know, on Come Up, you know, at a certain point, you have to make a decision and you got to stop and say to your agent or manager, first to yourself, okay, no more extra work or no more under five work or no more day player work because you have to elevate yourself and, 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 to, and the people around you have to see that you're hungrier for more or you are wanting more. So, yeah, I've always felt that. I always felt I wanted more or it ain't big enough yet. And I'm still doing that now. Well, hold that thought because I'll come back to that one. But okay. so your agent told you about the audition for Bubbles on the wire. Yeah. And you told the story on the DVD extras that when you went in, everyone was chewing bubble gum. So you spit yours out to be different. Yeah. But you weren't actually keen on the role, were you? And even after you got it, you didn't think the pilot would actually be picked up because it was too boring. Yeah. Yes, on both parts. Um, at that point, when the, when the wire, you know, HBO was big. Like that, that was a new uh, program uh, platform. And we saw, you know, Sopranos, we saw Oz, we saw, you know, some shows that just felt grittier and more drama based than regular television. So I was keen on HBO, but I just came off a stage where I was doing um, this like 24 hour celebrity play. And I was on stage with Benjamin Brad, Julianne Moore, um, Phyllis Seymour Hoffman, these actors, and I killed. Like, I, I killed my part, and they were all giving me congratulations. And then my manager called and said, you know, HBO wants you to come in an audition. And I was like, HBO, I knew it! <laughs> and then she said some, you know, a junkie named Bubbles. And I, I, I was insulted. I just felt like at that point, I had done all the Law and Order criminals, and I didn't want to play a junkie. And I will say, a part of me didn't want to play a junkie, one, because I thought it was stereotypical, and I didn't want to be a part of that typecasting. And two, I was scared. I was, I didn't know if I could elevate that kind of a role more than, or not more than, but as well as, uh, say, Al Pacino in Panic in Needle Park or Sam Jackson in Jungle Fever or Pookie, Chris Rock. So I, I was like, 
they already did it. They already did it and they did it well. What can I add to that? And if I can't add, then why do it? So I didn't, you know, I didn't want to go in. And then, you know, being a good manager at the time, um, she was like, they didn't offer you the part. They just want you to audition. You ain't even get the part yet. And I took that as a challenge. So I only went in, you know, I thought she was like, go in, introduce yourself, show these people that you can act, and then turn it down if they offer you. Big man, <laughs> big mouth. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. And, you know, I went in. At that point, I didn't meet David. I met Alexa Fogel and Ed Burns and Nina, Nina Noble. I met these people behind the... Uh, Clark Johnson was the director, great director. And, you know, the way they talked about the character in the show, it felt like it had a lot of weight to it. And, you know, I went through such a long audition process. I went in, like, I think four or five times. And they were telling me they had to go to California and Atlanta. And again, ego is one of the biggest things that drive, you know, drive an actor. And I had to find out if I was the best. I had to find out if I was the best person for that job. So that made me, started to change my mind and had me wanting it. When I got it, you know, and we went and shot the pilot, a few of us, you know, a few of us, you know, saw the pilot. And at that time, you know, we were programmed in our mind of what cop shows look like. And that's how it was presented to us. It's a, a deep cop show. And, you know, it just seemed like a lot of us were talking. We saw the pilot and some of us fell asleep <laughs> while we were showing the pilot. I think they showed the pilot at lunchtime to some of the actors. And we were like, wow, this is so slow. Like, there's nothing going on with talking. This is, this, this is not going to make it. We didn't think that it, it met the requirement of what HBO was already putting out there with Sopranos and Oz, you know, I, we just felt like it was slow. Now, not all of us, but some of us did. So we just thought, all right, well, we shot that. We got the money. Let's go back to Law and Order and wait for the next game. And we were very surprised. And we still are. We still are surprised now that people still talk about it and, and it still resonates. Yeah. And we're grateful. You know, that it says more about the audience than it does about the show. So now, of course, still... 20 years later, The Wire is considered one of the best, if not the best, drama series of all time. Yeah. And Bubbles is probably the most loved character just because he really felt like he was the heart of the show. He wasn't a stereotypical addict. He had a lot of humanity. And it has to be said, you played Bubbles so perfectly. Yeah. Um, the emotions that you were able to convey just through facial expressions, your movements. Yeah. People actually believed you were an addict in real life. Yeah. And a lot of that came down to the preparation you did. Yeah. Can you show Share your stories about the time you spent with Fran Boyd and just explain a bit about who she was for anyone who doesn't know. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm so happy that you asked that question. And I'm really happy that you mentioned Fran Boyd because she was uh, very special to me. And, you know, without her, there's no way I would have been able to perform or portray Bubbles, Reginald Cousins, uh, the way I did. Um, I didn't know anything about you know, this is kind of an oxymoron because I always say I didn't know anything about the drug game, but I knew a lot about the drug game. I just never had any experience in that type of, you know, drug of choice. I mean, we're all addicted to sugar and I, I, I love liquor or I used to love liquor. So I know that, but I didn't know anything about this and I wanted to get it right. So my personal preparation was, of course, okay, I thought about the movies I, I loved and who stood out. And like I said, Al Pacino in Panic in Needle Park, the way he was always looking. You know, from the minute he woke up to the minute he went to bed, it was always about the, how do I get high? How do I find money? And really, you know, Richard Pryor in Lady Sings the Blues, because he had a small part and he was a regular guy. And, he, you know, it looked like they were using the drug just to, you know, wind down just to celebrate. And you only saw that it was a problem throughout the movie. And then when he died, uh, Richard Pryor's character, it had such an impact on me that I, I saw that big or small, no matter how big your part is, if you play it right, you'll have impact. And then I started, you know, I started looking at my life and seeing what I do every day. What am I addicted to without knowing? Like turning on the TV drinking Coca-Cola and whatever I, I made a list of things that I saw myself doing every day and I stopped doing it for a couple of months. And when I stopped doing like when I stopped, when I didn't turn on the TV for a month, I was going crazy. I was looking at the TV, it's sitting in the living room. I'd walk around it. I'd be asking people what I miss. And there was a certain frenetic energy 
that it caused me to have that I enjoyed. And then I went to Baltimore and I met Fran Boyd. She was the uh, the the person that they based the, the lead character of the corner on. And I watched the corner and it was heartbreaking. Uh, I don't know if you saw the corner, but it was like, you know, a mini series about Baltimore and heroin and then what it does. Also written by David Simon. By David Simon and, and, and his impact on the community. So I watched that. So I knew a friend board and, and we just hit it off and she took me around. And because it was her, I was able to really sit down with, you know, a few people that were dealing with, you know, the addiction that were open and, and vulnerable in front of me because she gave me, you know, like the mafia, she vouched for me. So, you know, I had a lot of people, you know, that I was able to, I was able to talk to. And as I was trying to find nuances or ideas of why people are addicted or or what does it do to them? You know, what I came out of all these meetings was that these people were human beings and 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 they were they were there was nothing different about them than the, the same as the people that, you know, at a, at an office job have to go outside in the middle of winter and smoke a cigarette because they need they need to get a cigarette, you know. There was no difference. And that made me just look at Reginald Cousins, aka Bubble, as a person first, not as an addict. Because the addict became cliche, but the person is, you know, authentic. And I just leaned more into playing the humanity or the human aspect of, of Reginald rather than the addict. And it seems that it turned out well. And I'm so grateful to Fran. I miss her. Um, it's been a hard couple of years. We lost a couple of people. And it's just, it's great to see people, you know, that still recognize me or, or scream out bubbles. And, you know, when they say that, I think of her and I think of so many people that helped me create that character. But yeah, she was very integral and important part of, of Reginald, uh, of bubbles. And yeah, thank you. I, I, I get choked up, so it's hard to really delve into it, but yeah. She helped out a lot because she got me in the rooms and, and, and got me talking to a lot of people and they were all sharing their story. And all those stories helped me create my story and backstory uh, for Reginald. Mm. You did go kind of quite method being Bubbles rather than being out partying with the rest of the cast. You, you isolated yourself a bit for the first couple of years. You lived in a one bedroom apartment with just a mattress. And, and famously, yeah. there's stories about security kicking you off set because they thought you were actually homeless and you were given drugs by someone as you were so convincing looking as an addict. And was it Mark Wahlberg who thought you were actually a junkie when you met him? Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. A few people. A few people. And I hope I don't get people in trouble because it, it was like a backhanded compliment because it wasn't like it was negative. But a few people thought I was, when I was on set, you know, I stayed in character as much as I could because I, talking to all those people, they wanted me to get it right. They were like, please get this right. This is not, you know, get it right. And so I was, I felt like I have to stay as much as I can in character so that I don't have to go back and forth and I might lose focus. So I tried to stay in character as much as I could and great hair and makeup, you know, <laughs> and, you know, I, People thought I was a real junkie. And I, I think I met Mark Wahlberg early and maybe after the first two seasons at an HBO party. And, you know, a lot of people, because David Simon and The Wire was known as this authentic show and we were getting people off the street and nobody had really seen me as an actor because I'm doing theater or I'm doing extra work in Law and Order. <laughs> you know, so nobody really knew me as an actor. So they just assumed that I was somebody they found in Baltimore and gave him a shot. So, you know, Mark Wahlberg, I think we was at a the food line and Mark Wahlberg came up to me and was like, I love the show. You're doing a great job, man. Keep up the good work, right? Like stay off the stuff. <laughs> you make a career out of this. And I was just like, what, what, what are you talking about, man? I'm not, a, I'm not an addict real. And he was shocked. He was shocked. And he said, great, you know, he, he said even greater things after that, you know? So still to this day, you know, I, I was laughing because I used to drive this Yaris I used to like this Jarvis and I used to drive this Jarvis around and, you know, if I parked this Jarvis in front of the, you know, Chateau Marmont and come out, people were just like, yo, he must really be on drugs. Like, he must be, he spent all of his money. He must be doing drugs real. Like, you know, people still, I don't know if they believe it as much as they want to believe it. Like, when The Wire was over and I came to L.A. or third season, when the third season was over and I came to L.A., 
a lot of agents and, and, and PR people were telling me that the audience would rather believe that Bubbles is now becoming an actor than an actor is playing Bubbles. So they wanted me to really go with that, run with it, run with the, I was an addict and now I'm an actor. And they thought it'd be, it would it would further my career quicker if the world just believed that Bubbles is now starting an acting career. And I couldn't do that because that's not my history. And I thought that'd be insulting to people who are really dealing with it. And it'd be insulting to my mom and dad who were like, what are you talking about? He's not, he's not. My mom was <laughs> livid. When I got the part, and I told my mom, you know, I got this part, I'm playing this junkie. And Ed Burns told me that the real Reginald Cousins, real Bubbles, was like six foot. If I said no, if I said no, I didn't want this part for whatever reason, the, the person playing Lieutenant Daniels, Lance Reddick, would have got it. Was going to get it. Yeah. You would have got it. And he, they said he looked more like Bubbles. So when I asked Ed Burns, I said, if that's what Bubbles looked like, why'd you cast me? He said, because I had more of the essence of who Bubbles was. Mm-hmm. And my mother was like, fuck is he talking about? My son ain't got no essence or no. <laughs> my mom went off. And I was like, no, it's a good thing, mom. So, yeah. Uh, but all that effort to be so convincing took its toll on you a bit. And by the end of the third season, you had um, anxiety and depression from bringing the character's pain home with you every day, which I can imagine must be exhausting. And it was Samuel L. Jackson, was it, who gave you some advice and helped you through it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Coming home, you know, I lived in, I lived, at that time I lived in Brooklyn. As I said earlier, you know, now I have a daughter. And, you know, I was missing, you know, two things were happening, being in Baltimore, uh, away from my family and then coming home and seeing my wife and my daughter and really not having a connection with them because I've been away for like six months. You know, my daughter would ask me like, Daddy, hey, you're home. Can I wear this dress when we go outside? And I'd be like, yes. And she'd be like, well, you better ask mommy. And I'm like, no, no, it's okay. I said you can wear it. Yeah, I know, but you got to ask mommy. And, and, you know, and all those things started to make me feel like I wasn't present enough. And I'm trying to sit with, with Bubbles and make sure I don't lose focus and I know what my character on the show has been going through. You know, I went to the bottle a, a little bit harder and I, I felt distant and it was bothering me a lot. And, you know, again, at that time, a lot of people weren't watching the show. Mm-hmm. You got to remember, The Wire became a big hit. While we were filming it and while it was airing, it was still kind of small. You know what I mean? Under the umbrella of Sopranos and Sex in the City, we had small numbers. The hood knew us, but the rest of the world wasn't really running up like, oh, I love your show. They were just going, hey, crackhead, you that guy, you the crackhead guy, right? And I, you know, so all those things really sent me off a little bit. And I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to leave the show. I thought we, we did our job and, I, and I, I wanted to leave. And I bumped into Sam Jackson, who was great. And, you know, we did Shaft. That was my first movie ever, Shaft. And he, Sam Jackson was in it. So we got to know each other. And he's a great guy. And, and for him to come up to me and tell me, hey, you're doing a fantastic job. Like, you are really, really good. You know, it meant a lot. And I told him, I said, look, you know, I'm, I'm having these problems. And he was, just looked at me like, you know, man up. Like, shut the fuck up. You have nothing to complain about. You know, you're an actor. You just got in. And you got this iconic character. All you got to do is focus, stay true to your art, be who you are, and, and trust that the work is enough. And then when you come home, compartmentalize that shit, motherfucker, you know, <laughs> in, the, in the Sam Jackson voice. And he just, you know, you just need a fellow artist sometimes to just look you in the face and tell you what's what. And he made it clear to me that I have a job to do, and it's my responsibility as an artist to finish this job and as a, you know, human being you know, you get a chance to tell a story about humanity. That's like a win-win. So, you know, he he said he had, you know he's always a phone call away at that time. So it was good just to know that he was in my corner and that he respected the work. And that just that just helped me. That was like an a, a, a armor that I could wear that helped me. You know, all the way through to the season finale. Hmm. Touching on something you just mentioned there. I mean, the why was so ahead of its time, both in terms of having a predominantly black cast, having an openly gay gangster in Omar, the social and political issues it tackled, 
And it really started the trend of slow stories that we see on TV now. So it's crazy to me that at the time she said hardly anyone was watching it. You thought every season would be its last. And it even got cancelled at one point. More than one point. It got cancelled a couple of times. <laughs> and it was just ignored at the major TV awards yeah. for its quality. Only two Emmy nominations, I think, for writing. Yeah. How frustrating was that for you at the time? Because, I mean, everyone says that you should have won something for Bubbles. Um, at the time... I'm not going to lie, you know, at the time it was very frustrating, but, but it it was weird. It was a weird, um, it was a weird mix of emotions because it wasn't like nobody was watching. The hood was watching and my people were watching. So in the neighborhood, I'm a big guy. Like the neighborhood is like, I'm getting all the free hoodlum merch. <laughs> Anybody <laughs> came out with a with a, a, a urban wear, as they called it back in the day, I'm getting bags of it. You know, everywhere I go is yo bubs, let them in. So you know, I was I was I was getting the accolades from the people that mean the most to me, my peers and my friends. But you know, when you when you turn on the TV and you you know you see the Emmys and the Golden Globes and the SAG Awards. And we're not there, but everybody's telling us it's such a great show. We just looked at it as, I guess, a form of disrespect, but also a form of we must be doing something so good that they can't fuck with us. They don't know how to digest and say, well, who do you nominate for Best Actor? Because there's 40 of us and we're all good. Right. And we all we all play the team effort in saying it's not about camera time. It's about the story, story, story. So we all kind of, you know, bought into that system from the pilot. We all said, you know what, let's make sure we tell this story correctly with, the, with, with authenticity about the people that we're playing, not about the actor, you know, wanting a status. So it was great to see that we were authentic, like the cops came up to us. You know, anytime somebody comes up to me and says, yo, I used to be an addict or my uncle or so-and-so, it's personal. You know, the why is a personal connection with the audience. And we can't, you know, maybe if we started to get awards, it wouldn't be looked at like that. Maybe people would start to get disconnected and be like, oh, that's, that's right, it's a TV show. So it, in a way, it blessed us with this, this allure of, of, of being an authentic documentary or a re, the, most, the most realist show. I'm sorry if that's not a word, realist, but the most realist show that's ever been portrayed on TV. You know, so... You know, it's a blessing and a curse. But yes, I I felt like, you know, not just for me, you know, Michael K. Williams, who I think is the most loved, you know, beloved character on the show. You know, Michael K., Wendell Pierce, Dominic West. Like, we had so many people that um, I, I, I felt deserved to have that moment at the podium. And they didn't get it. And we didn't get it as a whole. That's always going to rub me the, the wrong way, depending on what day I wake up. But overall, we, we love the fact that people are still talking about us. And we love the fact that, it, you know, it has its place in the history of television in a top five way. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm. that's special. You mentioned some of the other cast members there and yeah. obviously some other big stars that came out of the show. Idris, Elba, Michael B. Jordan. That's right. Lance Riddick. Michael B. Jordan, who was our first, you know, our first kill so to speak, that had an impact on the show, Wallace, um, and Idris. You know, we, we were all so cool at the time because we all had a shared moment in, in Baltimore where we stayed huddled up in the hotels. Like, most of us didn't, in the first two seasons, like, most of us didn't really go outside, you know. There was really nothing to do outside but spend your per diem and get in trouble. So you kinda, we kind of huddled up and just kept rehearsing and kept rehearsing. And it was almost like it had a very theater-type experience. And um, I think, you know, with social media, it helps that we stay together, we stay connected. We, we try to stay looking out for each other like like college mates. And Idris is doing fantastic and Mike is doing fantastic. Everybody is doing, you know, Dominic Lamondozzi, always working, uh, Seth Gillen. Everybody is, 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 has gotten a, a pretty good platform off of the show. And that's that's really, really happy to see. I'm very happy to see that. I have a favourite fact about The Wire. Okay. Which I'm sure you probably already know, but I'll try it on you anyway. Uh, Michael K. Williams, who of course played Omar, uh, couldn't actually whistle. 
So all those scenes when he's whistling down the street before he kills someone was actually an elderly lady whistling. I can't whistle either, so we're kindred spirits, but I can't watch it in the same way again. Now I know this information. I can't unhear that. You're not supposed to share that. Now everybody's going to be like, well, we want to find the old lady now. Is she around? She should get some love. <laughs> nah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of stories. There's a lot of things, you know. I used to have people, they would see certain scenes. I think there was one scene where me and Herc were in my shanty house. You know, I do this scene and I'm, I'm just moving around a certain way where people were just like, yo, you really had that. I mean, you look like you was just strung out, junkied out. Like you had them. I was like, yo, there was rats running across my feet during the scene. I didn't want to say that. I didn't want to yell cut because the dialogue is so good, but the rats is one of, you know, we have so many, you know, so many joints where, you know, art imitates life and, you know, that the, the magic moments, you know, nobody will, will know about, but. It, it was a great time in my life. I know lots of people want a new season of The Wire, but something that I would like to see made is The Wire, the musical version as seen on Funny or Die. Wasn't that great? That was so... <laughs> yo, we were so scared. That was my... Michael K, I think he had... He, he was really in with the Funny or Die people or they were doing something and he had this idea and he called up me and Kima and, and uh, Sonia and uh, we did it, but we were doing it. We were nervous. We were like, David Simon gonna fuck us up for this. Like, uh, <laughs> are people gonna be mad? Because it's so hard to, or we felt like it was so hard to have make fun or have fun of, with these characters because they were so rooted to real people and it was so rooted to this authenticity aspect of humanity that anything outside of that would lessen it. Like, I would look at all the Comic Con and look at all the bobbleheads and be like. Why we ain't got no bobbleheads? Why we ain't got no more bobbleheads? I, I want the bubbles, but then it, when I would say it out loud, I'd be like, that's horrible. That's horrible. Don't do it. We can't. We can't have wild merch. We can't have action figures. Everybody, we got Walking Dead action figures. You got all these. I want an action figure, but, you know. Anybody who hasn't seen The Funny or Die, Why the Musical, should check it out. Because that was a funny day. It's brilliant. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. Okay, it's time to leave the nostalgia zone and enter what I like to call the latter zone, otherwise known as life after that thing I did. Okay, wire. Wire for life. Hashtag wire for life. You never leave my soul. Bubble stays with me forever. He's a part of me. I always say when we talk about the wire, everybody in front of the camera or behind the camera of that show became better artists and better human beings. They were enriched greatly for being a part of that show. And again, thank you to the audience for keeping us alive and, and, and speaking about us. So we appreciate you guys. And now we shall fast forward to the present time. Hello, Genevieve here. Just wanted to quickly stop and say, if you're a regular listener, thank you for hitting that play button again. And if this is your first time, welcome. You have four whole seasons of nostalgia to catch up on. So if you haven't already, please do follow and subscribe. It's totally free. And if you'd like to support the show, stick around at the end to find out how. Now, back to the latter zone. So since The Wire ended in 2008, you've had more than 60 acting credits in films and TV shows, and we'll go into them in more detail in a second. But you weren't really getting offers after, and it took you about eight years before you landed a lead role in Hunter Gatherer, because people couldn't really see past your role as Bubbles, which on the one hand is a compliment because you played the role so well, put my teeth back in. Yeah. But on the other, it must be a bit like the Superman curse because people can't see you any other way. So you can't even get in the room to audition. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, it was rough. It was, it was weird to me, but it was so many different reasons. You know, again, it's a backhanded compliment. When I came to L.A. or even when I was in New York, you know, either they believed I was a real junkie and they didn't know if they could hire me. They didn't know if I was, was going to be a flight risk or an insurance risk. Or, you know, they were saying things like, well, we already hired Michael Kay or we already hired uh, Lawrence Skilliard. We can't have two Wire actors together Hmm. because then people will start thinking about The Wire and not give this show a chance. And so, you know, it it just seemed strange that all of a sudden being good at something was blocking me from getting any other roles. And um, also Hollywood at that time 
it was a kind of it still is, but it's a little bit more opened up and more. I don't know the right word, but back then, the, when you play the, the leader of a gang or the leader of the, you know the drug cartel, that leader essence can go into the, the, the a sergeant or a president because it's still the, you know the authority. Hmm. You know when you play a junkie <laughs> or you play somebody who's an addict, they don't know where else they can put you in. Are you, are you good at comedy? Can you be can you be seen as a boss? Can you be seen as a killer? We just don't know because everybody sees you as this as this hapless, sweet person. So you know, and it wasn't writing that many happy, sweet persons for black people. <laughs> so so it was hard to get other roles. Um, but you know, that's that's the actor's life. Even without bubbles, being an actor, it's hard to get work. You know, it's 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 a hustle and it's a grind, and it took a long time. Before I, I started to get traction and people started saying, oh, he can play other things. You know, I think Spectacular Now, I give credit to Spectacular Now uh, with Miles Teller. I, I forget the director's name right now. Hopefully you can find it for me so I can I can give him a proper shout out. But he was the first one of the first dudes that put me in like a, a pair of slacks and a shirt and I played a teacher. And then people were like, oh, look, there's Bubbles being a teacher. I like that. He could be a good teacher. And I started getting different auditions. Uh, James Gunn, who went off to do you know Suicide Squad, he had me as a short order cook in uh, Super. So you know you have to show you know the powers that be that you can be seen in other roles, and then you start getting those type of auditions. James Ponsalt, who you're looking for? James Ponsalt, man, he came up to me. I had a restaurant, and, and me and my ex-wife had a restaurant in Atwater Village, and he came up to me, and he's like, "I'm doing this movie spectacular now." You know, it's a small and. And, and people also thought things was were too little. Like, he's, I got a small part. Is that okay? And I'm like, look, man, I read the script. I love the script. You know, I would love to be it. I read, you know, I, I, I got to let people know, actors, all actors, we'd rather be in a small part in a movie that's great than no part at all. I don't want to see a great movie and be like, oh, I didn't get that offer because they thought it was too small. No, that's happened a couple of times too. I think, you know, there were certain movies that I, I loved. And I was like, wow, I wish I would have known about that. I'd have played that part because I just think this, the movie was great. And I would run into the casting director and they were like, we didn't want to insult you. That part was too small. Better than not. Yeah. <laughs> Better than not at all. I'm going to have to be a small part. I don't think there are small parts. You know, I think, you know, Judy Dench won an Oscar for playing in a movie for 15 minutes, right? I think it was even less than that. Yeah. yeah. It was like eight minutes she was in it for. I mean, so yeah, it, it took a long time. I think my first lead, you know, and I don't want, Hunter Gatherer is something special to me, and we can go into that later on. But my first lead, you know, outside, after The Wire, was your boy Jesse Quinones in Callous Hands. And I love that movie. Nobody really saw it. Got some BAFTA love, but that was my first lead, was Jesse Quinones, uh, Callous Hands. So let's give him a shout out. Yeah, so let's tell everyone about how how, how we met. How this came together because we were introduced by our mutual friend Jesse, who directed you in his first film. Yes. Carlos Sands. And he actually told me something funny. Uh, he told me a great story. Did you see your friend's movie? I yeah. did. I saw a preview of it before it was even released. Uh, I've been a big supporter of Jesse. Did you like the movie? I thought it was great. And also it's so special because it's his story as well. That's right. It was real personal. It's really brave to put your story yes. in a book or especially on TV or film where everyone's going to critique you and be like, oh, well, that's not realistic. That would never happen. And it's like, well, this is my life. It did happen. Shut yeah. up. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's really difficult. That's why, that's why I did it. Yeah, that's why I, I really appreciated his, his courage, his bravery. And, you know, he, he was no judgment, unapologetic. This is my life. Would you play this part? And I was like, yeah, man. I, I, I artist to artist respect. And if you if you're willing to put your life out there like that, mm. I'm not gonna stand in that way. And I'm gonna play that part. And you know, was, I played an abusive stepfather. And when his mom was watching the movie, I was nervous, man. I was nervous. And yeah, so he's a great guy. He, he has a lot of courage. And I I know he's out there working. He told me he got another TV gig he's doing. So Congrats to him, but yeah, that was my first, that was my first lead, and I loved it. I loved the, uh, I love stepping into uh, number one position, and and it's not just being on camera, but it's also how you, 
how you create the set and how you galvanize people to work, you know, especially in indie films, work together, craft first, be respectful. And all those things, it was beautiful to watch and I, it, was, it, was, it was beautiful to be a part of. Jesse told me this great story where um, there's a scene in the film where your character sells water filters and you actually went into a store in character and tried to sell one to the owner who was unaware you were filming a movie uh, but knew you were being filmed because he thought it was a documentary um, and your attempts were used used in the final cut mm-hmm. uh, what do you remember about that experience i mean listen i <laughs> i i love as you as you know like from from the wire i, I love being in character i love you know i i, I love seeing how that i think the best way to know how you move in that character is to put that character i guess like test like go out there and be the character see what it feels like yeah i can't do that for every character but for this one it was it just seemed fun and i remember going in there and i and i remember people i like my interaction with people because they go through so many emotions where they want to kick you out but you're kind of funny, but they want to be helpful because they don't want to be looked at as an asshole on camera. So they, you know, they go through so many different changes. And that's why we like shows like Candid Camera or Jackass. Those are why those movies and shows seem to resonate so much because people want to see, you know, how people react when uh, they're thrown into situations. So I stayed in character in Kyle's hands all the time too. But weren't you trying to sell this poor store owner a water filter for like 10 minutes? <laughs> he wasn't having any of it. I did. I was in. I was, you know, as a good salesman, I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to take no for an answer. I was trying. I was trying real hard. And, we, and the camera was rolling. I'll keep doing it until you yell cut or until the owner, you know, got serious and wanted to kick me out of the store. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And, and, and it, makes for, it makes for, you know, a fun set. When you're doing an indie film, it's so much work and you have, you're on a time crunch, you're on a money crunch, and you want to just, see, like I said, you want everybody on set to know that you're giving 100% so they can give 100%. And we're all in it. We all do it for the love of the craft. So thankfully, casting directors got over the hump of seeing you as Bubbles and you've had some great meaty roles since like in Red Tails and characters who've had great positions of power like the mayor in Hand of God, private investigator in Interrogation, and of course as Terence Howard's right-hand man and lawyer Thirsty in Empire. But have you ever had a script where you thought, actually, I don't know if I can do this? Have I ever had a script where I don't know I can do it? No. Now I want those scripts. Those are the scripts that I, I want. Those are the scripts that I want. I want to be, you know, challenged and go, oh shit, I don't know if I can pull this off because that's what it's all, you know, that's what it's all about. That's the juice for for an artist. It's like, ooh, this is going. To, I mean, that's what I, you know, I'm chasing the dragon for a wire pun. That's what Bubbles was like. You know, I don't know if I can do it. Let me go to work. Let me dive in and see if I can make this happen. So I'm I'm looking forward to always running into those type of characters or those type of opportunities. Um, so far, not, not since, I mean, Callous Hands was was hard. Like, to be abusive, like, yeah. I, I, I've never had a script where I said, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not gonna say I never. Very rarely do I have a script where I, I, I say, I don't know if I can do it. I, I usually say, let me see how I can do it. So that's where I live in, in my artistry. There's a, there's a school of thought that it's better to be a supporting or character actor than the lead, because when you're the lead, the focus is on you and you lose more of your privacy because the media become more interested in you. But if you're the lead, you get the pick of roles and probably more money. But do you think there can be a happy medium between the two? Yes, I think so. Um, I, I think it's harder now because of social media, because there's cameras 24 hours a day rather than it, than it was back in the day. But yeah, I think, you know, I think you just got to play your life a little differently. I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis, he goes away, man. He comes in, does his joint, and then all of a sudden he's making shoes in Italy. Like, <laughs> or becoming a tailor. Yeah. Right? Like, like I, I, think, yeah, I, think, I think you can. You know, I, I think it's harder, um, but I, I think it's possible. With so many acting credits to your name, that obviously means you're busy, which is good. Um, and I'm sure it's great to be working. But how do you negotiate life as an actor? Because it must be difficult to balance being present. You kind of alluded to it earlier, you know, being 
present as a son or as a husband, a dad, or even just seeing friends when you're away for potentially months yeah. filming. Yeah. Um, I, that's what, that's what I'm doing now. You know, I don't want nobody, I don't want anybody to, to walk away feeling bad, you know, for, for actors. Uh, and a lot of people, a lot of actors or artists are able to balance it or, or you learn, you learn how to balance it. But that's what I'm doing now. I, I realize now, and, and IMDb, or the list that you're reading from, it makes it seem like I'm busy. But if you look at the dates, you know, in between, there's a lot of time where I'm not working. And I did not realize that when I wasn't working, I don't know how to live. I don't know how to interact with people without performing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this, this last stretch of, I guess, what's happening now is that I'm, I'm living. Like, I'm, I'm learning how to be... Uh, a better son. My parents are getting older. You know, that's hard to deal with. Um, my daughter's 24 and I, I'm trying to be a, a present dad listening instead of trying to fix everything. I'm like, I have a, a new relationship in my life. I'm learning how to be present and not always be on the phone or not always be talking about work or what I should be doing or what I want. Like being an artist or maybe just working in general, if you love what you do, it has a way of eating up most of your time, most of your thoughts. Mm -hmm. And you, you, you kind of leave people out and you don't realize the damage until it's too late. So I'm trying to learn how to balance it so I don't leave other relationships out. And, 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 I, and I am present to sharing my emotions and sharing my, I guess, presence with other people outside of the acting community. Mm -hmm. And, it's, you know, it is difficult for me because I'm not used to it. Or didn't know if I wanted it. Listen, I when you are a working actor, you want to work. Yeah. If you're not working, that's unemployment. And we have a stigma about being unemployed. We don't want to be unemployed. So, you know, for a long time, everything was about what am I doing? When am I doing it? How am I doing it? And you forget how to live. And right now, I'm I'm trying to just enjoy living. Work is slow for me right now. I, I you know, I, I got a great show on Amazon called With Love, where I play an Afro-Cuban, a father, first time playing anything within the second realm of my DNA, like I'm half Cuban, but it's the first time I'm playing somebody that's Cuban, uh, so to speak, or Span you know, Spanish. So that's great. Um, but yeah, right now, you know, I'm trying to enjoy my life that's not in the acting, that I'm finding it difficult, but but pleasant at the same time. You've said before how theatre is the most spiritually satisfying for you. For me. Yeah. Even though there's no money in it. <laughs> and, uh, and I know you've recently been workshopping an off-Broadway production of Talk Radio. Yeah. Is that still happening? Or could we maybe see you treading the boards over here in the West End? I could totally see you in something like Waiting for Godot. Um, yes. <laughs> You're an estragon. That's right. From your mouth, your mouth to your followers, to the powers that be. Yes, you know, um, yeah, it's still happening. Talk radio, speaking of, uh, of scripts that you, you ask me, do I have any scripts that I go, oh, wow, how can I do this one? Talk radio is hard. Talk radio is beautiful. It's hard. I connect to Barry Champlain, the lead character. Um, I'm in talks with Eric Bogosian, and we're hoping to have a, a, a production go up uh, sometime next year. And I would love to be at the West End. Listen, as a wire cast member, I told you we're family. I got to follow Wendell Pierce. I can't have Wendell Pierce be the only one that, that goes to the West End, knocking out Death of a Salesman, and is now on Broadway, killing it. It was a fantastic production. I saw it at the West End. Is there anybody out there, if you get a chance to go see Death of a Salesman, it's fantastic. And Wendell Pierce, a.k.a. Bunk, is doing a great job. And yes, I want to do the same thing. I would love to have talk radio or waiting for Godot. I'd love to do the West End. Um, so... Give me a call. All you producers out there, give me a call. Let me come out there and knock it out the park, and then I'll see you on Broadway. That's the, that's the dream. That's what most of my energy is focused on right now is trying to get talk radio from off-Broadway to Broadway. Let's see what happens, you know, and uh, fingers crossed. If we turn to more recently, last year we saw you in the Apple TV show, Apple TV TV show. <laughs> That's weird to say. Truth be told, alongside Octavia Spencer, and uh, as you just mentioned, with love on Amazon. Plus, we heard you in the audio drama Blackout as well mm -hmm. podcast, mm -hmm. and now you're in 
to Leslie yeah. as well, which has just had its UK premiere at Raindance. Oh, nice. And has had great reviews. Yes. I see uh I see Oscar nominations and awards nominations coming for that. Pronounce that pronounce the actress name so I can give a love. Andrea Riseborough. Yeah. So I just did this movie, uh and I didn't just do it, but you know, during the pandemic, I did a movie to Leslie. You know, she's great. She killed it. And it was it was fantastic to be to watch her work. Um, she was also felt like method. She also stayed in character as much as she could. And, and you saw the craft or you saw the preparation uh, fully on, in full display. Uh, Mark Marin was cool. Great. And, uh, and the director of Two Leslie, Michael Morris, you know, he was great, man. He was great, and it reminded me about uh, of the wire a lot because, again, you saw everybody come together and say, "Listen, this is about the story. This is about the human aspect of what alcohol can do to somebody, and what we do to people who drink." You know, alcohol is just, it's a weird drug because it's celebrated. <laughs> it's like it's it's this oxymoron of when you're down and out, go have a drink, you'll feel better. When you're celebrating, when you're happy. Cheers, have a drink. So it's pushed in a way where you, you're weird if you don't have a drink. And if you go too far, then you, you know, you're an alcoholic and you don't even know it's happening. Yeah. I'm in the camp where I, I don't drink. There you go. Well, I um I have a stomach ulcer, so I can't drink. But it's funny because I've had this since I was 17. So I went through university and, and first jobs and everything. And I would find that I would not get invited out yeah. when people after work were going out for drinks because it's like, oh, well, you don't drink. And it's like, well, can I not sit with you and talk yeah. at the same time? Yeah. If I went out with them and they'd say, what well, do you want to drink? And I'd say, oh, you know, I'll just have a Coke or something. It's like, oh, no, you, you want a proper drink. What do you want to drink? I know. And then I when know. I say I can't drink and they go, oh, why not? And they look at you a bit funny. And I say, well, because I've got a stomach ulcer. And they go, oh, God, that's terrible. Not terrible that I've got a stomach ulcer. Oh no! Terrible that I can't drink. No, that you can't drink. Yeah, that you can't drink. It's all. When I, you know, I'm too. I'm. I'm a year and change sober. I'm trying to see how this affects me and how I can connect with my emotions. Because now I'm having all the feels I didn't know I was subduing with alcohol. And you know, in the beginning, even your friends would be like, "Yo, I like you better when you were drinking. Mm. <laughs> like, like you're you're a little boring now." Like. It's a weird, it's a weird uh, addiction or a weird drug to talk about, such as sugar. Sugar is the same way. It's in everything. It fucks us up, but we can't help it. You know, we, we're going to take it. It's in our toothpaste. <laughs> it's in all the foods. Um, yeah, to Leslie is great. I, mean, I don't want to go off on that. That's a different podcast. But uh, yeah, to Leslie was a great film uh, to be a part of because I like storytelling and I like dealing with the human um, aspect of life. So... It was fun to be a part of that. And, you know, Octavia, truth be told, was great. It was a great cast. And it was good to be around um, such um, thespians. You know, Ron Cephas Jones, who's my doppelganger, so to speak. I got two doppelgangers. Let's get it out there. Ron Cephas Jones and John Carlo Exposito. We, if we can do a movie together, I'm telling you right now, people will be confused. They'll be like, oh, shit, I didn't know. I didn't know when I, you know, when I did when I did the TV show interrogation, you know, we shot that in Albuquerque, and I was drinking back then. And I tell you, I got so many free drinks because they thought I was Gus. They thought I was Breaking. I love you on Breaking Bad. I'm like, oh, right, buy me a drink. Let's go. And you know, so you should all be cast in a film where you can be siblings. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I would. Lo I would love that. I would love that. Or we just do a Funny or Die where we all meet up in a Starbucks. And see everybody's head explodes. That's what, that's what I want to do. <laughs> I want to go to Starbucks and have Ron Severs and John Collar walk in like, yo, and have them go, wait, who ordered the Fapalapa? Wait, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I saw you say in an interview quite recently that you thought you hadn't made it yet and you were still making it. And I mean, even just now when we're talking, you say, you know, it's an everyday hustle and stuff and you're always working, but... Why do you think that you haven't made it yet? And for you, what does making it look like? Um, yeah, I don't, you know, I say that, well, I, I, I'll say this. In the beginning of my career, like right after the wire, uh, powers that be, I forget their names because there's so many in Hollywood. It, everybody thinks, you know, everybody got something to say. Everybody's a, an agent or an advisor or an expert. And they told me, I forget who it was, told me, 
Well, you, there's levels to making it. And right now, you haven't made it yet because people still call you bubbles. And you'll know you're at a certain level when they go past the character's name and they start saying Andre. When they start saying Andre Royal, then they know you now as the actor who plays all these great parts. Nobody calls De Niro by character name. Nobody calls Denzel Washington by character name. These are, you know, so that was one thing. But people probably still call Mark Hamill Luke Skywalker. They do. They don't call Harrison Ford Han Solo. Well, that's true. Right? So there's there's these weird, you know, in the community, like, levels to it. So at first I was like, okay, I haven't made it yet until people start saying Andre. Now people say Andre and I'm loving that. But there's a certain stability that you gotta, that you have to achieve where I wanna know that I'm working because I love it, not because I have to pay a bill, right? I wanna know, or, or I, I think I'm looking for this aspect where I feel like there's nothing else I can portray or perform that's gonna challenge me. And I think then I'll know I've made it. If I can say, wow, there's nothing else I can do that I find scary on stage or on film and i know there's a lot a lot for me to do before that happens and maybe i don't want to make it because if you make it then what else do you do <laughs> like like i feel like there's certain people that get to a certain level and you get there, the only way is down then what right then what what do you do then so yeah i, I don't think i've made it when my mom's dad still put money in my cards for christmas and my birthday i haven't made it yet. <laughs> I mean, once my mom starts putting that five dollars into my Christmas cards on my fucking birthday cards, then I'll know that I've reached another level. That's, that's when I'll know I made it. So yeah, I don't know. I, I you know, I think I think this is a journey, you know, that that called me when I was in, you know, again Rocky. And it was funny because Rocky it wasn't that Rocky made me want to be an actor, but Rocky made me understand the power of that medium. That's what, you know, I wanted to be an actor because I saw my dad looking at TV all the time. And that's the only time I saw him emote any kind of emotion was when he was watching John Wayne or uh, Fred Astaire. And he was like, oh, my God. And other than that, he was very stoic and very serious. So I thought, okay, I want to be part of something that creates serious people to have a laugh or, or show emotion. And then when I saw Rocky and I saw how we were all rooting for Rocky to beat Apollo Creed, I was like, wait, <laughs> why are we rooting for the white guy? What happened? And, you know, I, I just love the, the idea of storytelling and being a kid. Like, I just thought it was the best job in the world because you, you play all the time and you get to be different characters. You know, I didn't know about the money part. I didn't know. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know about the long waits in between. Or, or, or you know, when, once you're an actor... Everything else feels less than like, you know, when I wasn't working and I go try to get a job waiting tables, it was like, oh, my God. Or that poor guy uh, from the Cosby show when he's at Trader Joe's, he gets like, what happened to you? Yeah. You know, I didn't know. I didn't know all that was going to come into play. But I I love what I do and I want to keep making it until I guess I don't until I decide I don't want to work no more. So we'll see. You seem to have this really constant energy bubbling away no pun intended yeah. where does that come from you know where it come from sugar coca-cola everything <laughs> now I, you know i just I, i've always been like that you know i've always i've heard tale from people around me that I, i'm a lot I, I turn it into maybe you're just not enough but apparently i'm a lot <laughs> i have a lot of energy i have you know i i think the next role i want to play is somebody who's very still very quiet. I think I was trying to play, I was trying to put up a production, a film about Haile Selassie, because I think he's very, very quiet man and, and stuff like that. That might be a challenge for me, I think, but I don't know where, I think it's in my DNA. I'm a, I, was, I was raised as the only child in the Bronx and I kept it moving. I didn't want to get beat up. <laughs> I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you know, I, I just I just kept people laughing. I kept, my energy was always, has always been up. So. Who knows? They got to have one of those ants to that seed.com or, you know, and I can find out where does your energy come from? Because I don't, I don't know. I hope it never leaves. <laughs> you need to bottle it and sell it on. <laughs> yes. But it might be a drug. And then I might have to, <laughs> you know, both. 
all the world telling a, a drug elixir is too close to bubbles. Then, you know, <laughs> that might be too much, but we'll see. Right now it's called Coca-Cola. Before we go, how's your Spanish coming along? I know you wanted to learn. How are you getting on with it? I'm still stuck on Bete Bacarajo. That's all I know. So, Did you just swear at me? I gotta, I gotta work on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's coming along well. You know, it's, it's getting there. Being a part of the show uh, with love on Amazon has helped helped out a lot. Um, the show won a Gloria Collette. You know, she's great and she's spearheading. Uh, the Latino community representation on screen, you know, behind the camera and in front of the camera. So being a part of that and understanding that, you know, they're fighting for representation too, it, it makes me proud. So I, I got to learn it so I can, you know, represent the Afro-Cuban uh, the right way. You know, I, I lost a couple of roles because of that too, because not being able to speak, the, you know, the Spanish the right way. <laughs> Oh, actually, tell me about the time you met um, President Obama because The Wire was his favorite show, wasn't it? Did he fanboy you? He did fanboy me. It was it was in the middle of filming Red Tails, and we we're in Prague, and I guess we had a, like a day off, and some of the cast and the director Anthony Hemingway were like, "Let's go." Uh, Obama's speaking, and my daughter is in town, came to visit me, and she's little. And I put on my shoulders and we're walking up and we're, Obama's giving a speech and we're standing on the corner with the rest of the crowd and we're just looking. And, you know, when my daughter was at that age where, you know, I'm not really a celebrity unless I was on, you know, Spongebob or I was on, <laughs> you know, you know, I'm on a kid's show. I'm on Buffy. I'm not on Buffy. I'm not, I'm nobody. <laughs> but that, at that time, Obama's giving his speech. And he, you know, looking at the crowd, great speaker. He's looking and he sees me and I got my daughter on my shoulders. And he's like, hey there, Bubbles. What's up, man? Love your work. And I was just like this. Thank you, my man. My daughter flipped out. My daughter's farming flipped out. All the other actors. You know, I got Terrence Howard. I got Cuba Good Jr. I got all the other actors like, the fuck? <laughs> Fucking Bubbles? And that is. I'm like, hey, man, you know, I'm the wife for life, baby. Wife for life. Yeah, he shouted me out, and that was great. And he also invited, you know, I, it was one of his campaigns where I think he was running for the second term. He invited the Wirecast to uh, meet him, and you know, at the Capitol, that was great. I got to take my mom, and that was great. And you know, Obama, Obama was a he spearheaded a shift in the, in the Wire audience. You know, like again, I think you know, second season didn't do well. We were about to get canceled again, and. I think Obama, it was Obama and Hillary Clinton were running for president or running against each other. And um, I think they were doing 60 Minutes. And they, after all these questions, they go to the end and they go, oh, you know, so what do you do on a downtime from your campaigning? What are you watching? Hillary Clinton was like, I watch American Idol. Love it. People were like, great answer. Great answer. American Idol was great. And then Obama was like, I like, I got this show, The Wire. I watched The Wire, and Omar is my favorite character. And I kid you not, you know, I think all of us recognize that we walked outside the next few couple of days, and there was a different group of people coming to us that were liking the show that weren't around before. Before it was BET. We, they were watching us. And then all of a sudden it was, you know, doctors and lawyers and influential people or affluent, affluent you. Uh, what's the right word? Affluent. Aff what's that word mean? You've got, like, a lot of money. Yeah. And... You can do what you want with it. That's right. Yeah. That group of people. That group of people weren't watching The Wire in the beginning. They were watching it after, after Obama. They were watching it. And all of a sudden, The Wire became this show that you were supposed to watch. If you gave a fuck about the community or, or your political stances about, you know, how we're all connected, then you had to watch The Wire. Like, a lot of people would come and tell me that, you know, if their friends or family members didn't watch The Wire, they're no longer friends and family. Like, they don't, they want no parts of them. So... It became an important show to watch, you know, after Obama said that. So he is a fan. Kudos to Obama. We miss you, brother. Come back. Andre, it's been an honour and a privilege. Thanks so much for chatting. Come back to London soon. I'll buy a ticket for your West End performance. Let's go, man. Let's come back. Let's come back. I'll come back and I'll, I'll go on stage. Let's do it. Let's have fun. Let's tell Jesse to come meet us for a non-alcoholic beverage. <laughs> 
We could always do coffee. That's another caffeine drug. We could do some coffee. I'll go for a burger. Yes, and a burger, yes. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for doing what you do. And uh, I'll talk to you again. All right. thanks again to Andre for joining me for such a lovely, fun, honest and thoughtful chat. As you said, there's lots of things you can catch Andre in right now. There's Truth Be Told on Apple TV, With Love on Amazon and his latest film To Leslie, which you can rent on the usual streaming platforms. And of course, you can always dive back in and re-watch The Wire again to get your bubbles fixed you know you want to. Hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Celebrity Catch-Up. As I always say, I know there's lots of podcasts to choose from, so thank you so much for choosing this one. If you enjoy the show and would like to support it, please visit celebritycatchup.com where you can donate. And as ever, do please tell a friend or share it on social media so others can discover and listen too. Hit that subscribe or follow button. It's totally free. Leave a nice review because people are more likely to listen if someone else says it's worth it and do say hello and follow me on social media just search for celebrity catch up and you'll find me until next time thanks for listening Mm -hmm.